0: hello good morning it is morning yesterday it would have been afternoon but today it's still morning why don't you grab a seat Uh, you have to sit down exactly at the seat closest to you if you're sitting on someone's knee consider it an opportunity to get to know them (laughs) today is all saints sunday and i was thinking it as we were as we were in worship, there was a couple of moments during worship. We were talking about the the, the sort of spread of our worship. All Saints' Sunday uh, is always the Sunday closest to November the first, or the Sunday following the November the first. That's why there's white on the cross today and white on our on our lectern. All Saints' Sunday is is where the church traditionally, throughout the ages, has remembered those who have who have kind of focused their life on God and gone before us, but have now passed away. There's this beautiful uh, sort of belief within the long history of the church, a belief that some people may find weird, but we're in a series right now where we're talking about the enchanted, we're talking about how our faith is more than just something that we think about in our head, but is something deeper, wider, and broader than that. Christians have this belief that, maybe you've heard of this, that when we die, we go to be with Jesus. If this is new belief... Um, then I have other sermons that I can preach this morning. <laughs> but isn't it interesting, even as we say it like that, think about, we've talked a lot through this series about the disenchantment and the skepticism of our world. Even as we, as we verbalize that out loud, Christians believe that when we die, we go to be with Jesus. It just get like, like mm, are we okay talking about that? There was a genuine question. Are we okay talking about that? <laughs> like we we confess it at every Christian funeral we go to that that something goes on beyond. And All Saints Day has been that day in the church's calendar where we remind ourselves to remember that. Because there's a stunning follow-up Christian belief that believes that when we die and are with Jesus, what are we doing? But we're lost in glory and adoration and worship for Jesus. And at multiple points throughout the Christian calendar and throughout this sorry throughout Christian scripture We have these moments where people catch glimpses of heaven. We saw it in Isaiah chapter 6 in the first week of this series. And whenever people catch these glimpses of heaven, we realize that those who have gone before us are caught up in worship for God. Which means then that Christians also confess that when we come to God in worship, we are never alone. Like last night, I was in my office at home, and I was praying about today On my own. But the Christian confession would be no, you weren't alone, because all those, the saints of heaven, are gathered with us when we pray. There's a stunning confession that, that I want you to grab hold of for your own life a stunning confession that Christians are never alone. Even the loneliest person in this room, the Christian confession is yeah, but you're not alone. Because God is always with you, and all those who have gone before you are with you. There's this sense, not vague, kind of like, ooh, you know, there's somebody else here. No, actually, there's a Christian confession that beyond our lives here, we are with God, and we are praising God. And so, as we start our conversation this morning... There's that confession. We sang it in our songs. And it's funny how when we sing it in our songs, and with all the saints, do you remember we sang that word? We said with all the saints, right? And we prayed it in our prayers with, with all Christians. And, and, and we say it, it rolls off our mouth really easy in song and in prayer. But there's this confession that there is not, there's other churches in Calgary that are praying this morning. And, and we're confessing their prayers, our prayers, all part of the same prayers. We're never alone. If you're watching online because you can't get out the house, like not on your own. Never on your own. Maybe that's a little too weird to start the sermon. Should I have ended with that? (laughs) Now, part of the reason I want to start with that is, A, it's All Saints Sunday, but also our text then today. If that whole conversation is a little weird, then you're going to love this story. From Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. Jacob's on the run because he has... He has tricked his brother out of what I think in the Hebrew is best translated a buttload of money. (laughs) And, And Jacob comes to a certain place and he stays there for the night because the sun had set. I mean, I love the scriptures. He stayed there for the night because it was dark. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place. Like in the Bible, this is not like... And, and that's what passed for a best Western in those days. There, something, things are not in a great space for Jacob. Like he's quite literally sleeping on a rock. He has nowhere else. He's on the run. And he dreamed. He dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. I told you it was going to get weird. <laughs> the angels are ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him, see? And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you. It's like, know that I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I, I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none, this, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it. And he called that place Bethel. Bethel from the Hebrew, Bethel, the house of God. And then let me share this from the gospels with you this morning, but just in terms of changing our posture of worship, why don't we stand as we read the gospel together, if you're able to. In the gospel of St. Mark chapter one, it says this, that evening after the sunset, the people brought to Jesus, all the sick and demon possessed, the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. The word of the Lord. Father God, we have welcomed you into our hearts. We know you are present with us. We have sang, come Holy Spirit. And Lord, as your scriptures guide us this morning, we pray that you would continue not just to be with us, but to alert our hearts that you are in this place and you are here for us. Amen and amen. All right, take your seat. There's a kind of question that I'm asking in our teaching today, which is simply this. What if we don't encounter God because we're too busy? What if I don't encounter God because I'm too busy? Rich Viodas, in his excellent book, The Deeply Formed Life, mentions John Harvey Gerdner. Now, I know what you're thinking. Anybody with Harvey in the name, generally a serial killer. Ever since Lee Harvey Oswald, it just, the name's complex, right? Um, John Harvey Gardner, however, is not a serial killer. He was a doctor. Um, for some of you, who are like the same thing. Um <laughs> <I'm> joking. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> John Harvey Gardner created this term, New Yorkitis. He used, he used the term to describe an illness that he felt he was encountering which had symptoms including edginess, quick movements, and impulsiveness. At the time, he said, he noticed that it seemed like a disease which which was affecting large percentages of the inhabitants of Manhattan Island. He coined this phrase, New Yorkitis, in 1901. (laughs) I kind of wonder if 122 years, we've all caught it. We've all caught this sense of edginess, need to rush and be quick everywhere and live in impulsiveness. Like, are we a people, am I a person who is so quick, edgy, and impulsive that I'm out of rhythm with nature, that I'm out of rhythm with myself, that I'm out of rhythm with God? Have we ever found ourselves in the situation where your body is telling you one thing, Tiredness, for example. Anybody know the cure for tiredness? You all said sleep, but what you actually do is coffee. <laughs> I literally said to one of my friends just at the back of the service right now, I was pulling a coffee and he said, You need you know, you need the coffee, and I said, I've heard the sermon already. And the <laughs> I know you're thinking it. Isn't it interesting that our response so often to tiredness is not what we all know is the solution to tiredness, but is to, is to caffeinate so that we can stay on top of things. How about this? Have you ever heard yourself saying this phrase? And we've asked this before. We know the answer. I just don't have enough time. If there was 25 hours in the day, wouldn't it be better? Well, yesterday there was. <laughs> and... And it didn't make that much difference, really, did it? We're all still a little tired. How often does somebody say, how are you? And you respond, busy. (laughs) Here's a map of the world. um, And it's attached to the map is numbers given to every single country. Uh, This is not a score. The number is how many statutory days off people have in those countries. You notice there, uh, USA leading the line with 10. Uh, It's not golf, unfortunately. Low numbers mean less days off, and uh, high numbers mean more days off. Um, It's a fun thing you notice when you look at this map that, uh, you know, you would, (laughs) I'm not trying to make any political points here, please hear me well, but it struck me when I looked at this map, (laughs) you know, you'd get more holidays in a year if you lived in North Korea than if you lived in the U.S.? That's like a slow burn joke. You're like, am I allowed to laugh at that? I'm not sure. <laughs> like I know what we do is Canadians like, and not that I'm a Canadian, and I realize I always when I say these things, everybody's like, yeah, we're well aware you're not Canadian. We look down and go, well, at least we've got more days than the USA, right? But you know you get more days off in a year, including statutory holidays as you lived in the Bahamas, and you'd live in the Bahamas. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like Iran has the most paid vacation days in a year. Like, have you ever heard this at Suncor? You know, like, oh, my goodness, I'm so busy. I wish I lived in Iran. (laughs) (laughs) What I'd love to do is add another map to the top of this uh, at people's stress levels. And I wonder if there's any comparison between this. Like, I I don't have any great political point to make in this. Please hear me well when, when I say this. But it's interesting how we're busy and i wonder if there's connections between how little time we have to stop and how little time we have to hear god one of the things i noticed when i when i took my sabbatical this summer is for the first few weeks of my sabbatical i would go to a retreat center and spend a day in retreat. Uh, towards the, the end of that first month, I spent some overnights there. But f- to begin with, because of like, just life and family commitments and school schedules and all that, I just said, I'm gonna have days of retreat. So we'd do the school run and then I'd go and take some time of retreat. I don't know if you're anything like me. Sometimes prayer life can be a little difficult. Sometimes life gets a little busy and it's like, where do I squeeze this in? And if I'm really honest, quite often it's like, I don't really feel like people talk about hearing from God. And maybe you're like me, you're like, ah, I'm not really sure when that happens. And I found when I took quite literally a day off, still did the school run, but then went to a retreat center, sat in this quiet room. The room had no computers. I had my phone with me, but it's just outside Cochrane, so there's like zero Wi-Fi. Got in a lot of trouble with that in the first service. The Cochrane people were like angry. They're at the first service. They have to leave so early to come here. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, I had no Wi-Fi. I had no internet. It's just me in a room. And I walk into that room. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And all I had was a notepad and a pen. And uh, and I don't, you know, and and I'm there. And I found this consistently, the amount of days that I arrive at 8.30, and by 10 o'clock, I'm writing in my journal things that I think God's just stirring up in me, things that God's saying to me. And then, you know, these are not revelations like St. John in Revelation. Like, nobody's gonna read these things, like, hopefully. And, uh, (laughs) like, seriously. Uh, But I felt like God was stirring stuff up in terms of what he was trying to say to me. And I had this constant reoccurring thought that all it seemed to take was an hour of quiet, and all of a sudden, I felt like it was easier to pray. All of a sudden, it felt like, God had things that he was sort of saying to me. And I found myself, like Jacob, wondering, like, is God always in this place? Is God always present to me, but it's me that's not aware of it? How many days in your week, even just this past week, might you look back at now and say, was God in this place, but I wasn't aware of it? Like in this series so far, we've talked about, our skepticism towards the holy, our disenchantment with the mystery of God. But I just wonder, is it possible that some of the reasons we're not encountering God is quite simply because we just don't have time for him? Like are we all just a few minutes of silence of hearing what God's stirring in our own hearts? Here's essentially the statement that I wanna make. Busyness pushes God out. Tom Wright says it wonderfully like this, it's only when we slow down our lives that we catch up to God. And if you're a classic modern Westerner like I am, it's like, no, that doesn't work. How can you slow down to catch up? But I wonder if we could contemplate the notion that our busyness is what's making it hard for us to hear God. God is in this place, Jacob says. God is in this place. Like he's on the run from his brother. He's basically he's managed to swindle a situation where his father blessed him as the firstborn, Uh, which isn't just a sort of words. It puts Jacob into inheritance positions. So Jacob is basically robbing his brother over his space in the family, his inheritance in the family, his position in life. So Esau, Jacob's brother, decides the best thing to do is assassinate Jacob. Jacob decides. He's not really on board with assassination, so he does a runner and encounters the story that we've just read from the text already. I wonder if you noticed in the text, there's this beautiful line. It says, he has this dream, and the angels are ascending and descending. The rabbis are fascinated by this line in the Hebrew, because the rabbis would lean into this notion of scripture that words are not accidentally used, and they're like, you notice it says ascending and descending? Like a broad, simplistic approach to your cosmology for a second is most people, we think of heaven as up and earth below. Now, we can be a little more advanced than that if we want to, but broadly speaking, heaven is up, earth is below. So you would expect that angels would move down and then back up again. But the rabbi said, but wait, look, the angels are moving up and then back down again, suggesting that the angels were always with Jacob it wasn't that he was on the run alone, but that he was accompanied by these angels of heaven. And when he becomes aware of it, he's seeing them going up and then returning to him. Paul, in his sermon in Acts 17, he says to the people of Athens, God is not far from us, regardless of what we think. So often we confess that we are far from God. It feels like God's so far away, we say. It feels like I'm not encountering God. But there's this constant confession. God is near to you surely jacob says surely the lord is in this place and i and again one of the rabbinic observations of the text is there's a double i there's an emphatic i god's in this place the question is me where am i where am i am i in this place and and actually no i'm not in this place because god was in this place and i didn't even know it. We sort of operate from an assumption that if God was present, we would understand. If God was present, we would pick up on that. And here, Jacob's like, I'm at the gate of heaven. This place is Beit El, the house of God. And I was completely oblivious. I'm the one missing this. I was reading a modern rabbi on this particular text just this week. And in the way that only a rabbi can, as he was digging down deep into this emphatic, I'm the one who's missing the point here. He went from this beautiful reflection on the Hebrew emphatic to an Abbott and Costello story, which I didn't see coming, but I liked so much I wanted to share with you. There's this famous Abbott and Costello story, perhaps you've encountered it before, where Abbott is trying to tell Costello the names of some players on a baseball team. Unfortunately for Costello, the names of the players are either not names or are themselves questions. So you end up with this hilarious, obvious situation, where on third base is, I don't know. And on second base is, what? (laughs) And of course, on first place, we have, who? (laughs) So the sketch goes like this. Costello says, that's what I'm trying to find out. Who's on first? Absolutely, says Abbott. Who, says Costello? Yes, says Abbott. Look, shouts Costello in exasperation. At the end of the week, when you pay the first baseman, who gets the money? Every dollar of it, and why not? The man's entitled to it. He earned it, answers Abbott. Some of you are way too young to know who Abbott and Costello are. Um, let me just try and quickly contextualize this so you know who they are. Um, Noah felt that he needed comedy on the ark. That's the two-by-two two that went with him. <laughs> <sighs> the reason Costello can't get the answer to his question is that the question is in itself The answer. He's asking a question. The question's not necessarily wrong, but he anticipates the answer being different. This is what I wonder if we're not dealing with when we come to encountering God. I've said it before, but I want to keep this thought in our heart. I don't think the question of encountering God is how do I get God to turn up? Because whenever we ask the question, how do I get God to turn up? The same answer is always given to us. He's always here. But the problem is, you, even though you might say, okay, well, cognitively, I, I accept that, but it doesn't feel like he's here. It doesn't feel like he's with us. It feels like I'm alone. And this is where our text today is interesting, because the question is not, is God here? Is this the house of God? The question is, am I aware of it? Am I aware that God is turning up? And I wonder if we're not looking for God and trying to find him, not just necessarily in the wrong places, but in the wrong ways, So we come to church, for example, and we say, oh, maybe I'll find God here. But if the question is maybe God will be there, then we're always going to ask the wrong question. We're in the right place, but we're asking the wrong question. Jacob seems to realize the question is going to probably lean towards himself and not towards God. As I was writing this sermon, I was sat in my office, and because of the structure of, of the community that I live in, I can see the mountains out the window of my of my office. And um, I always find it a stunning place to sit in and watch. And I love the mountains, as I've told you uh, before. And many of us do. We're drawn to the splendor and the beauty of the mountains. And you talk to your neighbors uh, that love the mountains, and they all say similar things. Like, have you ever noticed when you speak to people about the mountains in Alberta, how quickly spiritual language starts to come in? You ever notice this? That we talk about the mountains in in kind of profoundly deep ways, like I felt something when I was there. I go up to the top of the mountain, and oh my goodness, something stirs in me, we say. And, and you know, and it's grand, and, and it's, it's huge. And I think it speaks to the fact that we're all looking for something of God. There's something about being on the mountains, and the kind of vastness, and our smallness. But so often what we miss is that God is not the mountain. But God is not the mountain. God is not the nature. That actually, like scripture constantly points us to the fact that what nature is doing is worshiping God. That the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the psalmist says. The, in, in the book of Revelation in chapter five, there's this scene where John looks and he initially thinks that no one is worshiping Jesus, but then he realizes that all creation will worship Jesus. In Jesus' time, as he's wandering into Jerusalem, and the people sing, we sang the song ourselves this morning, the people sing Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David, and people try and stop them singing that about Jesus. And you remember what Jesus says in response? He says, if they don't sing, the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out in worship to him. There's this notion in scripture that all of creation knows its creator. We're the ones that are out of sync with that. And I think sometimes when we end up in the mountains, what we miss is the reason that we feel these things. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the river that you walk by. It's, it's, it's a forest that you like spending time with. Maybe it's what draws you to camping. I don't know. But I think the scriptures want to confess that we are in the presence of things pointing towards God. And I think sometimes there's these thin spaces, be they churches or rivers or mountains or forests, where it just seems easier to pray. And so easy to get that wrong and say, oh, it's because God is in the tree, when actually it's that the trees are pointing to their creator. Here's what I think's in us, and this is why I'm I'm gonna push this as, as my opinion here for a second. I think the reason we love the mountains and the forests and the lakes and the streams is because there's something in us drawn to worship God. There's something in us drawn to be present to our creator. I think we're looking for God. I don't think you turn up here every Sunday morning just because you got nothing better to do. I'm highly doubtful that you turned to your loved one this morning and said, well, we forgot to change the clocks. We got up early. We may as well go to church because nothing better to do. I think we're here because we're looking for God. I think all of us are, are, are wanting to encounter God. I think we want to pray, but we're not all sure how. I think we, and I think we don't come here just to know about God I think we want to know God. I think we want to encounter God and experience God. It's why when the worship team are just giving us of all of their skills and they draw us into places of worship, and I think you feel this, we want to lean into that. There's a sense of which I want to be part of this voice. I want to give my voice to this observation that God is present to us. That's, I think, what spirituality looks like for Christians so often. But there's always that challenge. You know, Jacob... What is Jacob saying, ultimately, in this text? Jacob's saying, listen, if I had known God was here, there is no chance I would have gone to sleep, right? Like, oh my goodness, like, God was in this place and I had a nap, right? Like, that's not what I want on my tombstone, you know? He was sleeping and he missed it, (laughs) (laughs) Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, the beginning of knowing God is simply paying attention, being fully present where you are waking up. And I think so often, the regard of, regarding the holy is just paying attention. I was thinking about this one. When, when John was talking a few weeks ago, about Moses in the burning bush. You have this story. Moses, he's out, he's in the desert, some wilderness, he's looking after his father's sheep. I don't know the truth of this or not. Sorry, because it's, it's his father-in-law's sheep. I don't know if that makes you look after those sheep more or less Anybody have any wisdom on that? You know, the father-in-law is like, look after your sheep, and you're like, "Eh, watch this. (laughs) I walked them by the cliff, and they all fell over. You're like, I'm not sure if it's okay to laugh at father-in-laws. It is. (laughs) Father-in-laws, we love you. Um, Especially mine, watching this in the UK. Um, The... Moses sees this burning bush, and the text says he saw this burning bush, but it was not burning up. Now just think about this for a second, because you know this phenomenon, but for some reason we don't think about it when we read the text. How long do you have to watch something burning to see whether it's burning up? You know I experience where you've started a fire and you take a log and you put it in the fire, And then there's a moment where it's like, is the log on fire or is it just hot? Is it burning up or is it not burning up? Moses has to stop what he's doing and pay attention. And only after standing there and pay attention does he able to state this bush isn't burning up. Daniel, last week, he has to go into his house and pray a prayer liturgy. He has to stop and he has to pay attention. Otherwise we miss what God is doing. There's a phenomenal Jewish story, one of, my, one of my favorites, about two men who are part of the Exodus, and, and, and they, they arrive at the, the Red Sea, and as the Israelites are going down into the parted Red Seas where God has kind of pushed the waters back, these two men are, are, are looking at the ground, right? They're being exodused from slavery, but they're looking at the ground, and, and the story goes that they're complaining about how muddy it is. And they're like, at least it was dry in Egypt. And they walk all the way across the Red Sea complaining about the mud in their shoes. And the rabbis that tell the story say, and they miss the miracle. (laughs) That God is holding back the waters, but we're just like, yeah. And I wonder if what we need to do is learn the sacrament of this present moment. That God is here right now. He was here yesterday. He was here in that terrible thing that happened at work this week. He was here in that argument that you had. He was here in that moment of overwhelming joy and he'll be here tomorrow as well. And there's a, there's a, there's a sense which we have this moment and perhaps we need to confess God is here. But am I aware of it? See, because if we're gonna pay attention to God, it calls us to wonder if God was there all along and I didn't realize it, Where else has God been present that I've missed? Was it that prayer time, that service, that sermon that I didn't really care for but my friend thought was amazing? Have you ever had that experience happen in church where you're like in a service and you're like, oh my goodness, this is going on. And you turn to your friend and they're like ugly crying. And you're like, yeah, you're upset about how long this is going on too. And and then you realize, or somebody's like, somebody's like, oh, I listened to this sermon and it changed my life, and they give it to you, and you're like, eh, I didn't really care for it. Have you ever had that phenomena? Or maybe you had it the other way around, where you were moved by something, but it seemed like the person that were with you weren't aware of it. Was God there? It was just that I didn't realize? Was God in the room during that time of worship and it was me that wasn't connected? It was me that wasn't present? The psalmist in Psalm 24 says that the whole world is full of God. God's everywhere. Can I wake up to it? One of the gorgeous things about biblical Hebrew, which the Old Testament is written in, is it doesn't have a word for spirituality. There is no word for spirituality in ancient Hebrew. There's just God's world and he's in it. And we want to divide it up into bits where God is and bits where God isn't. But the scriptures call us to pay attention because the whole world is infused with the presence of God. So perhaps a spiritual life, a holy life, might involve doing the same things you always do, but you're paying attention differently. Maybe how you load the dishwasher changes. Tish Harrison Warden in her wonderful little book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, says the kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. I often, and I resonate with this, I often want to skip the boring daily stuff to get the thrill of an edgy faith. And some of your traditions that you've grown up in will have told you edgy faith is the way to go. But it's the dailiness of the Christian faith The making the bed, the doing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, the quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root and grows. Jacob's just got his head on a stone pillow. So the question perhaps, going back to our language last week, is what scaffold do we have that will guide us? What things can we put in place to hold us and support us in paying attention? Because I want to encounter God. It's just that sometimes the busyness gets in the way four things that I found helpful and we've talked about a lot over the past year, liturgy. What are the things that I need to do? The words that I need to say, prayers, the Lord's prayer, confessing the creed, reading the Psalms. What are the things that I need to do in that liturgy? Like sometimes would it help if I bowed when I prayed, if I kneeled when I prayed? Sometimes would it help if I was silent when I prayed? The calendar, like submitting myself to the Christian calendar can be really fascinating. Like today we talked about it, it's All Saints Day. But then, like, Advent is coming. Did you notice, by the way, David, like, fired the first Christmas warning shot there this morning? You hear it? We're, like, singing that, and we're like, Christmas is coming. And some of y'all were like, I have been waiting for this. And others of y'all were like, it is too early for Christmas carols. And then the worship team are like, it's not a Christmas carol. It's about worshiping Jesus. (laughs) But, like, we feel that, don't we? There's this joyous thing about the Christian calendar. Christmas will come whether you're ready or not. (laughs) And so will Easter and so will Lent. And it will ask you, and here's what's gorgeous about the Christian calendar. It's all built around the life of Jesus. And it asks you to shape your life around a rhythm of the life of Jesus. This Eucharist, we've talked a lot about this recently and we probably won't stop. There's this receiving, the giving up of control, coming with hands open and taking Eucharist together reminds us Jesus is present to us. And then there's practices of contemplation. And I mean it simply like this. We gotta learn how to be silent. Jesus in the gospel reading today, he's like Jacob, he's like everyone with New Yorkitis, he's like you, he's caught in a space of business. The text says he's up beyond dark, healing all the sick and also casting out a lot of demons. I'm pretty sure at least one of those things is tiring. No, you know, I mean, Jesus is tired. Like that's, that's what this writer's trying to tell you. He's up beyond dark. And, and I realize that as of tonight, beyond dark is, well, you're still at work when it gets dark from now on. But, but in, in Jesus' world, it's, it's a way of telling you this is beyond he's going. And what is Jesus' response? Well, he sets something up that becomes a marker for so many Christians. He steps away and finds a solitary place. The demand hasn't changed. There's still everybody looking for Jesus. But Jesus steps away to find some silence and some solitude. Like here's, let me ask you this question: How often do you say this? It's a busy season. You know how are you doing? I'm super busy. It's just it's a busy season I'm in. But you've been saying that since 2004, <laughs> and it seems like this season's here to stay. And I think you're always going to be busy. Our world is not figuring time to quiet down. You are not going to get all of a sudden Iranian levels of vacation time, right? It's not going to happen. Jesus, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. There's lots to do. There's lots of people that need your help. But Jesus has to make the space, carve out 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, and find space to be silent with God. And it's hard for us because we're terrible at silence. We're like allergic to silence. As an exercise this afternoon, why don't you go home and see if you can just sit in silence for 10 minutes without picking up your phone or the remote control. It's like our hands naturally need to do this. But like Jacob and like Jesus, do we need to learn the sacrament of this present moment to realize that God is here. And when God is here, we start to become clearer on who we are. Notice Jesus' response. Everybody's looking for you, Jesus. He goes, well, let's go somewhere else and proclaim the good news, because that's what I'm actually here to do. And eternal busyness can hold you in a place that you forget who you are, and you also forget who God is. Ken Shigematsu calls us to encounter our inner monk. He says, actually, all of us have this deep yearning inside us for a bit of silence, for a bit of solitude, a bit of time with God. So as we, as we sort of land today, I want to just invite you to think about Ignatius' prayer of examine as another piece of scaffold to add to your box of scaffold that I'm encouraging you for. You were given this handout when you arrived Today. On one side, it's the kid's one, and on the other side, it's the adult's one. Do whatever feels right for you. <laughs> and this is just a very simple structure. If you've been with us for, for a little while, you'll have heard Bob Osborne taught on Ignatius's prayer and Ignatius's life earlier this year, and he says it so well, so I, I won't repeat that. You can go and listen to it in the ghost series from earlier this year. But the prayer of examine is a prayer of paying attention. It's a prayer of asking, where was God in my day? It's a prayer to help us not be Jacob and say God was in this place and I didn't realize. It essentially falls into these five parts which you you can see. How do I become aware of where God was in my day today? How do I then review my gratitude for this day, which for some days will be easy, For some days we'll realize I should have got to gratitude quicker and for some days it will be hard to find gratitude in there. How do I pay attention to how I was feeling and perhaps my emotions will help me understand why I missed that God was present to me. And then in that process of silent reflection, what is God stirring in my heart that I should pray about in this day and then take that forward into my tomorrow? So what I'm going to ask you to do is this. As we land our service this morning, just want you to breathe out a little bit. So perhaps sit up in your chair, put your feet firmly on the ground. i want to read this text to you really quickly. I'm going to ask you just to listen to it in a meditative way. And we're going to have a really brief moment of prayer about the week that we've had and the week that is ahead of us. Jesus says this in John chapter 15 and verse four. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just take a deep breath and close your eyes. Think about the beauty of that word abide. Some translations say remain, but I love the word abide. As it approaches Christmas, family members turn up at your house and they bring like five suitcases with them. And that fear that you have where you're like, how long are they here for? What you're worried about is that they're here to abide. (laughs) And Jesus says he will abide with you. He has brought all of his suitcases he's moving in and his invitation is for you to move in and be present to him with that sense of God's abiding with you I'd love to invite you to simply think about this think back over your week quickly just see what God brings to mind in this past seven days what what has happened and ask this simple question where could God have been most present this week perhaps a high point of joy answered prayer or perhaps a difficult difficult moment that happened At some level, don't overanalyze your thinking at this point. Just what is it that came to mind? And I want to invite you to do this. Just give thanks to God that he was present to you in that moment. Even if you didn't feel it. Just where you're sat right now, quietly, silently, in your heart, just say, thank you, God, that you were with me in that moment. Maybe it's that you forgot to praise him. Maybe it was a deep moment of joy and you got carried away with just being so excited that you you, you never even thought about God in that. There's no guilt or shame in this, by the way. This is just observing. Or maybe it was a really difficult moment and you forgot that God was protecting you and holding you in that moment. And as you're thinking about that, I'd love you to just pay attention to when that moment was happening, what were your emotions? And were those emotions stopping you from experiencing God? Jacob was afraid and on the run. Jesus was tired and busy. And if we think about how was I feeling in that particular moment, might those emotions have distracted me from realizing that God was supporting me, that he was in that place. And then what do you need to pray about? As you're thinking about that moment that you're in, what just comes to mind that I should pray about that? Perhaps it's a need to bring our fears before God. Perhaps it's our coping mechanisms. Oh my goodness, in that moment I did X or Y when I was so incredibly stressed and I know that's not healthy for me. But we bring that to God. God, help me be more present to my family. God, help me be more reliant on you. God, help me with my anger or anxiety. Whatever these things are, there's no right and wrong with these. Just what is God stirring in your heart as you think about your week? And we bring that to him in prayer. We say, Lord, take this, carry this for me. And then here's the invitation of this moment. It's now to look into the week ahead and ask how can I abide in God more this week so that the moments where he was present to me last week that I missed might not be moments that I feel alone in this week ahead, might not be moments where I forget about him. And then let me pray this over you. May you learn to love some silence with your maker and creator. May you learn that Jesus is always with you, that the Holy Spirit is never abandoning you, that that awful situation that happened in work this week, that argument with your loved one, that moment of exuberance and joy, that near miss, that moment that might have been that was not that moment of loneliness and despair, all those moments, Christ was with you and you were not alone. And may you, as you go into this next week, be aware that the earth is infused with the presence of God, that Jesus is always with you, that he is next to you and carrying you and supporting you. And may you be different from Jacob. May you this week say, God was in this place, and I was aware of it. I was alert to it. I felt it. I heard it. I just knew it. May that sense of Jesus carry you this week. May the blessing of Jesus and his grace and his peace be with you today and into this week. Amen and amen. Go with God's grace and peace, friends, and may your whole week be full of God.